A wise man once said, if you hear a horse, don't look for a zebra. Applied to today's politics, when you find drugs, find a drug addict. And contrary to the gyrations and tortured logic of politics, that's the truth. From TNN, the Truth News Network, with your host, Dan Newman. I guess that's a, a really big deal. If you're looking for a horse, don't look for a zebra, and vice versa. If you're looking for a zebra, don't look for a horse. Well... I guess we can relax a little bit. We don't have to be in the barrel for everything, worried about everything. We just don't have to do that. So, novel idea. Let's don't do that. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Now, I know some of you thought, Dan didn't say anything yesterday about whether we were going to have a show on Thanksgiving Day. I forgot to tell you, we are having a show. TNN Live is up and at them. We have been since about 5 a.m. Central Time this morning, getting ready to kind of share this first big holiday of this holiday season with you. And I thank you for joining me. What you got planned for dinner today? Are you going to do it around lunchtime? You may be like a lot of people, including our family, where we've got all hooked together about five different families When you start having kids and grandkids marrying off, that's part of the deal. So we're doing ours at 1 this afternoon. And I will tell you this, if you don't know me, you don't know about what I'm going to say. But if you do know me, you'll chuckle. I like to eat. And we've got some of the greatest cooks that I've ever known in a family. I mean, we have real, real connoisseurs. We actually have an executive chef in our family. You've heard me mention our son, Caleb. Caleb is an executive chef over in Fort Worth or Arlington, and he's in with his wife for the holidays. In fact, probably in the second half hour today, you're going to meet Caleb because he's going to come in and talk to us about some of the political things that are happening regarding the Palestinian-Hamas-Israeli war, and how people in that part of the Dallas-Fort Worth metroplex, kind of in not quite the center, but just a little bit left of center, oh my gosh, that could be a a political thing. (laughs) We we could say Arlington, Texas, where the hospital is, (laughs) is some left of center. You know what I'm referencing. But it's, 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 it's kind of cool to get a younger generation's thoughts and opinions. And I'm going to say something to you. At this particular point, I know, I know that Caleb is, if he leans politically one way or the other, he leans very conservative. But we're going to talk to him just for a little bit. That'll be in our second half hour. And we have a lot of news to get into today. And uh, I was just thinking... Do we need to do the whole two hours today or not? So why don't we just do this together? Let's play it by ear. How about that? Well, get set to go. Get some coffee. We're fixing to kick it in. Everybody all around the world Gotta tell you what I just heard It's gonna be a party all over the world got a message on the radio
from Wembley Stadium in London. Have you ever been there? I haven't been to the stadium or an event there, but I've been, drove right by it one time. I guess maybe I can say, yeah, I know all about Wembley Stadium. It's one of the best outdoor concert venues in the world. You just heard, that was Electric Light Orchestra, ELO, and uh, that was one of their big hits. And they were playing to approximately 120,000 concert supporters. Yeah, that's a big stadium. And of course, they have chairs all out in the uh, on the field, the soccer field, the football field. But uh, some good music. If you ever get a chance to go to Wembley for a concert, make it happen. That's a historical event. Well, if you just joined us, and many of us are getting up a little later today because it is a holiday, of course, we're getting up many of us earlier today because it is a holiday. It's Thanksgiving. Uh, I do a, uh, a Monday through Friday early morning prayer meeting at our church. It's a 30-minute prayer meeting. It streams on Facebook if you ever want to look at it, SC Church. 
you can go to that uh, that Facebook page, SC Church, and it streams live every Monday through Friday, 6 to 6.30 Central Time. And I went this morning, and my compadre, one of our pastors in the church, Bruce Ewing, he, uh, he said, I've got some sweet potatoes for you and Mary Ann. So I thought, wow, great. When we finished and I was walking to my car, Bruce ran out to his van and he pulled out a box. And I'm, I'm not, it's not just sweet potatoes, folks. It weighs probably 50 pounds, that box. So we're having a big Thanksgiving dinner today. I know somebody's already making pumpkin pies don't know about uh, sweet potato pies, but we've got enough sweet potatoes to last us for a while. And I kind of like the holiday season a little better because of it's a good time for families to get together and catch up on things that may have been happening that they were too busy to share. Talk about good memories, talk about bad memories. But we need the power and the strength and the positive things you get out of being together with your family members. Now, wait a minute. <laughs> I know I know we all have a family member or two that, you know, probably an uncle, one of those people that you got to include that uncle or aunt or cousin or whoever they are in any family event so nobody gets their feelings hurt, right? And you just think, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to go sit and talk to them and listen to what they say, bragging on this and bragging on that, lying about this and lying about that. But you know what? The older you get, the more it's not a big deal anymore. You're together as a family. And the older you get, you also realize you've got less time to go to these kind of things than you did last year and the year before. We just need to make sure we work on our relationships. And let me make a suggestion to you. I don't know if it's part of your family's tradition. We learned years and years ago. In fact, my parents and Marianne's parents taught each of us to tell people you love them when you really love them and tell them that often. It's not fake. If you really love people, Tell them about it. You like for people that you know, part of your family members, friends, to tell each other you love them. I had a conversation with my best friend outside of Denny Duran, who's my foster brother. He lives down in Sarasota, Florida. And he called me yesterday just to catch up before Thanksgiving. Last Thanksgiving, he and his wife and Marianne and I were actually together and had uh, a meal together in Dallas-Fort Worth, and I'd even forgotten we'd been together, but we were, and he reminisced, and we talked about it and laughed a little bit, and at the end of it, probably each other told each other two or three times, hey, man, I love you and I miss you. It's always good to make somebody feel good about being loved. You can never tell them too often and too much that you love them. Well, while you were getting ready for Turkey Day, maybe went to bed a little bit early because you didn't have to get up early today, the world is still doing what the world does. And on the other side of the globe, this Israeli-Hamas thing, it's roaring out of control. It's getting worse. Even though they've been telling us now for a week, they reached an agreement. We have a deal for the hostage exchange between 
Israel, and Hamas. And two days ago, they told us we got a deal put together. They gave us the skinny, not very deep details, but the skinny of what this is supposed to be. And so when I got up this morning, I expected to hear they were either going to make the first hostage exchange today or at the latest tomorrow. Well, they put it off a day. And so I thought starting the show, most of everybody that's going to be on the show probably are here now. So I thought we would catch up from somebody over there that knows a little more about this than you or I do, an expert that can look into this and give us the facts about this. Um, Put Israel. this in perspective for us. How Excuse much me. of an achievement Excuse me. is this? Excuse me. Don't interrupt me like that. That was rude. You shouldn't talk like that. Anyway, <laughs> a guy named Kurtzer is an expert on Israel and Hamas and other things going on in those countries over there in the Middle East. And he came in to kind of give us an update on what this whole hostage deal is about. Well, on the one hand, it's a great achievement, uh, especially for the families of uh, those who will be released. Uh, certainly, there will be disappointment on the part of uh, those families whose uh, children or spouses or relatives are being held. But as a start, uh, it certainly is important. On the other hand, uh, this is a very complicated arrangement. Uh, in a kind of quote-unquote normal hostage uh, exchange, you have one country trading a prisoner for another prisoner held by somebody else. Here you have an active war. You have concerns about humanitarian uh, situation on the ground. You also don't have uh, one uh, group holding hostages. We know that Hamas mm -hmm. is holding some hostages, but they've said that they're not holding all of them, which means that this gets even more complicated uh, once we get past this first step. And I think the delay until Friday tells you that there are still details to be worked out. Well, of course, there are details to be worked out, and we still will have yet to see what happens after this brief pause and the exchange of the hostages and prisoners. Netanyahu earlier today, when speaking, said they will continue eliminating Hamas until they have absolute victory. And I just wonder if you feel that this agreement brings us closer to the end of this conflict or potentially pushes that eventual end further away, given that a four-day pause theoretically could give Hamas an opportunity to regroup? Well, I think it's too early to tell whether it's going to help or hurt bringing the war to an end. Uh, Israel is determined to decapitate and to uh, destroy Hamas's ability to attack Israel or to govern Gaza. Uh, they've obviously accomplished some of their purposes uh, in the north of Gaza, but the Israelis are talking quite openly about the need to move south, particularly in the Khan Yunus area. And that will create an additional set of burdens on the humanitarian community with uh, about a million and a half people having moved from the north to the south. If the fighting now moves to the south, what do you do with those people? Do they have to pick up and leave again? So I, I don't know if we're any closer to a resolution or an end of this uh, fighting. Uh, but in the meantime, I think we certainly can applaud the fact that there will be more humanitarian goods coming in and that at least some families will be reunited with their loved ones. Well, of course, Ambassador, there have been a lot of questions about the way this war has been prosecuted uh, by the Israelis. And I talked about that today with a Democratic congressman from California, Ami Berra, 
who serves on the House Foreign Affairs and Intelligence Committees. He joined us on Bloomberg Radio to talk about what comes next in this conflict. Here he is. They're going to continue to degrade Hamas. They're going to continue to do what they have to do mm -hmm. in order to secure the Israeli people. But is there a different way to prosecute this war? Can you do something a little bit more surgical, more tactical, um, minimize the, the, the massive innocent civilian lives lost, the destruction? I mean, at the end of the day, um, the Palestinian people have to live somewhere. And you know, I don't think it's a, a great idea for Israel to try to occupy Gaza. I'm not sure what that looks like. So can we take this pause? Can we think about what might a two-state solution look like? Ambassador, how would you answer the congressman? Well, you know, I served in Israel during the second Palestinian uprising, the Intifada. Uh, which saw violence and terrorism and counterviolence and Israeli military activities almost every day for four years. And the one thing I learned is I don't second guess uh, military leaders. Uh, once they get their instructions from the political echelon, uh, they've got to carry out their, their mission. Uh, we know from past experience with Israel that they are careful about trying to avoid civilian casualties. They try to abide by the laws of armed combat they abide by the Geneva and Hague Conventions, uh, but casualties occur in war, and that's an unfortunate reality, which uh, we all mourn over those who have lost, but uh, I don't think it suggests an, an answer to the problem. What does a state like Israel do when a uh, rather horrific act of terrorism is perpetrated against not its military, but against innocent civilians within Israel in the communities surrounding Gaza? So there's no excusing uh, anything that's going on here. Israel is trying to avoid the civilian casualties, but I would avoid second-guessing that in believing that there's some better way to uh, try to uh, rid Israel of the threat of Hamas terrorism. So would you like my two cents on what I feel is about to happen, what's going to happen in this thing? I don't think Benjamin Netanyahu is going to take his foot off the accelerator. In fact, I think if, and they're preparing, Israel is preparing for this, if Hamas breaks this deal, I think hell will drop in Hamas territory. I believe Netanyahu will continue to do what he promised the world he was going to do in this war, not stop until every member of Hamas is dead. Now, I'm not sitting here in our studio at TNN Live clapping my hands and applauding that. I, I don't like war. Nobody ever wins in war. The people that work for, live in, are represented by members of governments and military when they go to war. The people are the ones that pay the price. I mean, even the cost of war. How do governments pay for war? Wars are very expensive. The people, the civilians, the working people, the working class people through taxes are paying for the war. And of course, everybody in the militaries for whichever countries are at battle with each other, those people pay the price. Nobody wins in a war. Now, there'll be a declaration and usually, in this modern day time when there's a war, both sides 
come out of it trying to claim a victory, even if they got their butts kicked. They try to make themselves look good on the world stage and, of course, in their own countries to their own people. I don't think Israel is going to stop until Hamas is eliminated. Now, what will that look like? I don't know. I have no idea. But how many times did we hear Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu say, who said, we're not, we're not going to have a ceasefire. That would only give them time to rearm themselves and kind of come up with the even more strict and stringent plan to eliminate Israelis. I don't think he's ever going to pull his foot off the accelerator. I don't believe there's going to be a total stop in this battle when, and of course if, this hostage exchange gets underway. There are battles going on over there in many fronts. It's not just around Gaza. You've got Hezbollah, another proxy of Iran, up in the north, up close to the Lebanon-Israeli border. They're firing missiles into Israel. It's coming out of Iraq and out of Syria against Israel. So there may be a pause in some parts of the war front, but I don't think Israel is ever going to call off the dogs. I believe they're going to be trucking until they achieve the objective that Prime Minister Netanyahu said is the objective. Eliminate Hamas. Well, we're watching this, and if something happens during the show today, we'll be sure and break in and give you the live report. I don't think it's going to happen today. I believe it. if it does get going, this hostage exchange, it won't happen until tomorrow, midday, our time, which would be evening over in the Middle East. But we're watching. We'll keep you posted. So, what's our president up to? He's trying to save his butts, what he's trying to do. Listen, every day it becomes more and more obvious to me and a whole lot of other people, probably many of you, Joe Biden's not going to make the trip. He's not going to be the candidate for the Democrat Party next year, next November. He just can't do it. And every day, every time he gets in front of a camera, every time he has a conversation, he becomes more and more obviously cognitive in trouble. And this is not a derogatory thing about this president. We all get old. If we don't get old, that means what? We assumed room temperature. We died. So all of us are going to get old unless we die young. He got some really harsh words yesterday after he very feebly claimed to be doing everything he could to address the fentanyl crisis? Think about that. Since he's been president, 300,000 young Americans have been killed by fentanyl poisoning that 99 and 9 tenths percent of came across our southern border. Why did it come across our southern border? Joe Biden won't enforce immigration laws and stop it. So just a couple of days after the president went to California, joined Governor Gavin Newsom in a foreign policy edition of Twister, <laughs> the executives managed to both bend the knee 
and bend over backwards for Chinese President Xi Jinping. Biden took to social media yesterday to boast on his record of commitment and his achievements. Of course, the facts of the opioid crisis were too obvious to gloss over, no matter the communication teams on the Biden side to do so, doing their best to gloss it over. They issued this, and this is a quote, deaths from fentanyl are an American tragedy that requires global action. The president said, I'm committed to doing everything I can to control this crisis. From expanding prevention, harm reduction, treatment and recovery, to working with Chinese, Mexican and Canadian partners to tackle this. What world did he wake up in yesterday? The most obvious, local, and constitutionally required solution to the problem was totally ignored by Joe, but not by the former Assistant Secretary of the Treasury, Monica Crowley, who reminded the White House resident about his kowtowing to communists the week before. You just kicks the ass of Xi Jinping, who is sending the fentanyl across your wide-open border to kill us. Sit down, she captioned to his post. As had been reported previously, when Xi had visited the hastily cleared streets of San Fran for a homeless and human excrement-free trip, (laughs) can you believe Gavin Newsom and his minions, whoever they are and how many it took, they totally cleared all of the homelessness and all of its ripples Across the society in San Francisco, it looked like a brand new place to go. Why? He wanted to impress Xi Jinping. In exchange for China's crackdown on chemical companies manufacturing the lethal synthetic and the materials needed to produce fentanyl and then get shipped to Mexico, where smugglers shuttled them across the border, Biden was exploring the lifting of sanctions on China's Forensic Police Institute. Yeah, that really goes together hand in hand, doesn't it? The Forensic Police Institute in China was considered by the U.S. to be responsible for human rights abuses against those ethnic Uyghurs in China. You know, the ones that they have in prison camps, the one that they are harvesting organs from some of these people in that prison not asking them, and in some cases, not even putting them to sleep to harvest a kidney. Comedian Roseanne Barr had a more straightforward answer befitting the national defense responsibilities of every commander in cheese. Close the effing border. That's a quote from Roseanne Barr. The National Center for Health Stats accounted for a seven-fold uptick in fentanyl overdose from 2015 to 2021. That amounts to 70,601 in the last year. All told, there was more than 65% of the total, 107,000 drug overdoses in the country in 21. So adding to uh, Baden's, Adding to Biden's lacking response, 
Nearly a year and a half earlier, he spoke with Xi for two and a half hours. And he said, or they told us, they talked about a range of issues, talked about no mention of the opioid crisis from either party, demonstrating any willingness of the half-century politician to not even bring the problem up. Joe didn't even mention it. He didn't mention it this time. Well, he kind of did. Oh, by the way, President G, would you help us out and look into the fentanyl stuff that y'all are producing over there and help us get it stopped? And, of course, G said, sure thing, Joe. So joining in on blasting Biden for his dereliction of duty were, as you can imagine, a bunch of commenters who raised concerns over the Biden family's influence peddling scheme and the likelihood that the big guy was beholden to foreign leaders for his 10%. There is no way you can convince me that Joe Biden has not received personally money from China, from Ukraine, from Russia, from China, from Kazakhstan, from Moscow. Why can I say that with confidence? It's simply this. Does he do anything to hold the leaders of those countries accountable for the wrongdoing that they are perpetrating on the United States of America? Not a peep. It's quid pro Joe, period. This is an example of what quid pro quo in politics looks like. And I think you'll agree it ain't a pretty picture. Not at all. We don't hear much from former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. I like him a lot. He was a congressman from Kansas. He uh, served as head of the CIA of all places. And then, of course, he was the Secretary of State under Donald Trump. He blasted the Biden administration yesterday, said it would get Americans killed if it continued attacking empty warehouses instead of putting pressure on Iran. Now, we are flipping back over talking about the Iranian conflict with Hamas and some of the other Iran stand-ins that have been taking pot shots at Americans at various military bases in Iraq and Syria. Those militias, Iranian-backed militias, have carried out at least 66 attacks on U.S. bases in Iraq and Syria. They've used drones, they've fired rockets, and even ballistic missiles. Now that's according to ABC News. American forces carried out multiple strikes yesterday with the Lockheed AC-130 gunship that killed some militants that were involved in an attack using ballistic missiles. So long as the Iranians continue to attack America, we got to put pressure on the regime, not on its knucklehead proxies sitting in Iraq, but on the regime itself, Pompeo said yesterday. This is an important point. So there will be, If this deal moves forward, there will be a ceasefire, a pause, a truce. Call it whatever you want to call it. There will be moments where there won't be Israeli attacks in Gaza. But the Iranians aren't going to stop their efforts all across the world, Pompeo continued. Now, the Biden administration 
has come under fire for easing sanctions on Iran. Nobody can understand why, except maybe because of quid pro quo Joe. We know Joe and Barack and Joe on his own have given Iran a buttload of money. Hmm. Why would he lift sanctions? Have they done anything to straighten out their evil that they perpetrate across the globe, not just against us, against multiple countries? No, they hadn't done anything. Why would we ease sanctions? The latest release allowed Iran to export more of their oil, also allowing Iraq to purchase electricity from Iran, and for arranging for South Korea to release $6 billion, $6 billion in proceeds from the sale of Iranian oil exports, and it's to be used exclusively, we're told, their excuses. Oh, this is just, it can only be used for humanitarian purposes. And it's all part of a deal to secure the release of five detained Americans. Think about that. I know I'm a valuable human being. I know you are too. But are you worth more than a billion dollars? Well, those five Americans to Joe were $6 billion in cash he released for five Americans to be released. And by the way, we had to give them, nobody talks about this part of the deal, we had to give them five Iranian people that were in prison. So we released five for five. That's quid pro quo, right? What's the $6 billion? Why was that necessary? Well, there may have been a phone call or a text or an email that's reminded our president, by the way, you know that money we funneled back through various channels to you. Americans don't know about it. But if you don't start releasing our money, we're going to tell them about it. My thoughts, no evidence on my part. I just know the love of money is the root of all evil. And whenever there's something going on that you can't just grab it and put your hands on what it is, always look for the money. The former Secretary of State, Pompeo, said, I suspect these attacks on Americans will continue until this administration does the most fundamental thing, which is to acknowledge that all of this, the horrors of October 7th, the missiles flying from Hezbollah into Israel out of Lebanon today, the rockets that the Yemeni Houthis are firing into Saudi Arabia and the ship they took in, in the strait, These are all Iranian-backed attacks, and this administration has done nothing to even slow that down. We will get Americans killed if this administration refuses to put pressure on the regime itself. If we just try to respond by firing missiles in the night into empty warehouses, which, by the way, was one of the responses that we gave them, Pompeo said that will not stop the attacks on Americans from Iran. And so media folks tried to get a comment out of Corinne Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, and the president, by the way. Nope, no response whatsoever. I mean, why would we respond? 
It's Thanksgiving. We're not working today. Budweiser presents the world's first star in your own radio commercial. Okay, guys, whenever you hear this sound, insert your name. Hi there. Your name. Sorry I'm late. Sometimes there just aren't enough hours in the day to be a neurosurgeon and a swimwear model. Oh, am I thirsty. How about it? Your name. Got anything tall and cool? Oh, Budweiser long necks, though. Your name. You are so thoughtful. But of course, Bud's the first choice for every occasion. Ah, you know I have a confession to make. If I ever had a son, I'd want to name him. Your name. Oh. Your name. Come here. Now. Mm. Your name. Your name. Your name. Well, you did very well in your first commercial. Have a bud. You've earned it. This bud's for Your name. Anheuser-Busch, St. Louis, Missouri. Great shadow legends. I mean, <laughs> you pick your champions. They're glorious. And their shields, oh, they glisten like... Uh, wet otters but the bad guys they're lovecraftian they're spooky they're um um big and then you go to battle and it's like then finally your foe is vanquished and that satisfaction such a primal feeling Ooh! download raid shadow legends play for free Welcome to McDonald's. May I take your order? Hi, can I get a... Uh, can I get a... Okay, get in the McDonald's. Ooh, can I get a... Uh, can I get a... Yeah, can uh, I get a... Uh, 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 go, Bubba, go! Uh, pick me! No, pick me! Hey, can I get a... Uh, Ten-piece chicken McNuggets. And what sauce would you like with that? Uh... Some kind of wonderful. Hey, I hope you're having a happy Thanksgiving. I hope you're with family, people you love, and I hope you eat a lot. (laughs) I know that's uh, always part of a Thanksgiving festival. I don't know where that came from. There are lots of different versions of that story, but uh, I don't have them. We were talking, if you weren't at the top of the show, we were talking about Thanksgiving, getting back together with family, enjoying each other. Our son, you've heard me talk about him quite a bit, quite often in the last four years. He and his wife live in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. He's an executive chef at Medical Center Arlington. Caleb is his name, and Caleb is, uh, he's a guy that can down some groceries, kind of in common with me. He's 6'9", and when he puts on his executive chef hat, you know, that one that goes up high, he's about eight feet tall, And he's got some of the pipes that I have. So um, hold on just a second. Let me lean my. I'm trying to get the microphone. Yeah, that's it. Pick it up a little bit. First time he's been in this studio. Anyway, say good morning, Caleb. Good morning. How are you, sir? I'm doing pretty good. It's glad to be home. Um, 
very busy time in Fort Worth, Texas, so it's good to come home when I can. I want to talk to you, and I want the people to hear your opinion. We've not had this conversation that we're fixing to have, you and I. I mean, we we don't talk a lot about political stuff. Uh, I know you're conservative in your thinking, thank God, and uh, I know your wife is too. Things are really different right going on now, not just in Louisiana where we are today, not just in Texas where you live, but across the United States, and a lot of it is coming from all of the fractures in our government and those in government that are doing some things that shouldn't be being done and also not doing some things that should have been done. And it's far-reaching, and it's impacting everybody. I mean, you live in a big metroplex. What? What's When, when they put all the Dallas-Fort Worth metroplex together, how many people does that include? Um, I think it's roughly 7.6 or 8 million people. Uh, I think there's, uh, there's more, there's a larger population in Dallas-Fort Worth than there is in, was it like 21 states? It's big. It's It's big. big. And you got a lot of folks. You're at a big hospital. How, I just thought, I just thought of this. It's coming right off the top of my head, including all the doctors that you personally handle all their food. And throwing in how many patients there are. How many people do you guys feed every day? Um, I could guesstimate roughly 1,600 to 2,000 people um, for breakfast and lunch and then probably about 1,600 people for dinner. Wow. And uh, you're not a typical old kind of hospital where they bring you a meal. They never ask you what you want. You, got, you actually have a menu that you put out. It's almost like a, uh, a restaurant. Things are a little different now. You've kind of put a different process in place than a normal hospital food and beverage operation. That's got to cost a lot more for the hospital and probably takes a lot more time to organize and get it, get it done. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, you know, we, we strive. You know, the biggest thing with... Um, Healthcare is, you know, they've always had a bad rep. It's always been, the food's always been scoop and serve or slop on a plate, really not appetizing. And uh, we've, with with Medical City and HA Healthcare, we've actually changed that because to us, it's when you're at the hospital, it's like a, we try to treat it like a hotel, you know, because you don't have any decision making in your stay at the hospital except for food. You gotcha. actually get to choose what you want to eat what you want to drink, what you're in the mood for versus having to wake up all hours of the day and night when they need to check on you or do, you know, tests or blood pressures or whatever else you have no control except for your meals. And so we strive to treat you like you're a guest in our restaurant. Well, I had a lot of medical stuff going on in my life when I was young. And I remember they brought around a tray three times a day And nobody ever asked me what I wanted to eat. And it came down, it was kind of like this. Uh, Do you want orange or cherry (laughs) jello, right? (laughs) That was about the choices that you got. Well, things have changed through time. And uh, things have changed since you left school. You got out of school, became a chef. Um, Living in a big city like that, 
you guys integrate with a bunch of different people. You personally do. So let's go up to about the 30,000 foot level and talk for a second. Comparing what you grew up in, in Northwest Louisiana mostly, um, the people in your age group in Dallas-Fort Worth compared to over here, what have you seen change through the last decade about people, younger people, not in mom and dad's generation, but in your generation, what is the overall sense that you're getting that's different in Dallas-Fort Worth than it is in Northwest Louisiana among people your age? And I'm, I'm throwing a softball out there. I'm not trying to pin you in a corner. I'm trying to get people that listen to this show, and we have a big audience, not as big today as normal, because it's a holiday. But I'm trying to get people to understand the differences, geographical differences, and how people think differently in different areas of the country. What's it like in Dallas-Fort Worth? Well, I th- you know, I think the biggest thing with the younger generations is is uh, that's when social media became a large influence. Right. And in doing so, we like to call them within our groups on social media keyboard warriors because there's no repercussions and you can be overly opinionated on social media. Um, so they're more outspoken. Um, and that's where you see all these, a lot of these protests and rallies and, you know, so many more people as they, they can create their own opinions, their own ideas through words on a screen, you know, without the lack of tone and inflection. And then they take it a little bit too far. Um, you see a lot of more outspoken and open younger generations in these larger cities. Um, you know, yeah, they're drawn there by a better way of life or larger salaries, um, you know, and, and a better start at life or whatnot if they don't live there. Right. Um, you know, and, and each city is different, or let's say each metro is different. Dallas is more of a um, blue county, where Tarrant County, which is Fort Worth, is more of a red county. Um not being political or whatnot, and you see more of, I mean, they don't really battle each other, but they stay very opinionated. Um, I'm no comment on Austin, but... uh, (laughs) I think we can all say it's deep, deep, deep blue in Austin, which is another thing. I I was born in in, uh, the Houston metro area, another big area in Texas, And Houston was always, as was Austin and Dallas and Fort Worth and even El Paso, very conservative. And what began to happen as the education process, secondary, continued to just blow up in central Texas, more and more people came to the University of Texas and some other schools in the the, uh, Austin area and brought with them uh, blue political perspectives and they liked the landscape in Austin, everything. Uh, There's a lot to do there. It's a cool part of the state, many things to do for young people. And they stayed and they stayed with their um, hard left politics. And it's become, I mean, a far left blue part of Texas And that kind of stuff is happening more and more in places around the world, and especially in the United States. But let's talk about the political perspective that you have. 
I know what you grew up in. Where have you gone in your thinking about politics in the United States over whatever period of time? Um, the, the thing with us, and yeah, I am, I mean, I'm 43, but I am part of the younger generation. Uh, I obviously lead more towards, you know, conservative, um, just because of those choices that I, I like to have that option or that capability to choose my decisions. I don't sure. need a government trying to decide them for me. Um, excuse me. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not hardcore red. I'm not hard. I'm definitely not hardcore blue. Um, you know, I'm not, I lean towards more Republican than, you know, Democrat, obviously, but I kind of like to see the middle. I want, I want to see the, the good in the blue. And if there's, I mean, I want to see the good in the red. And if there is any good in the blue and vice versa, um, I would prefer a balance, you know, in, in the United States, I prefer a balance in our area and region, because if you're not, then you, you know, you battle sides kind of like Israel and Palestine. Yeah. You know, I mean, they're battling sides right now and you have that within the United States. And I mean, it's, it's changed in the last 20 years. I mean, when, when I was growing up, everything was peaceful. I mean, we went to high school and we had guns on the back of our pickup trucks and there weren't school shootings. Um, you know, I mean, it, it didn't matter your race. You could get along when we were younger. And now that we have social media and we, everyone has come become more opinionated, just like I said, because of social media, you're looking at a screen, you have no retaliation right there. You know, it, it can come later on yeah. with, you know, with serious consequences and your employers and whatnot finding out. But, um, you know, like how I live and my wife live and whatnot, and we, we are conservative and we do look at the views on both parties and then make a decision from there. But um, it's, it's gotten kind of crazy. I mean, you can tell with all the protests and sure. all the other drama that, I mean, that, today's society has just gotten really crazy. It's gotten out of hand. I mean, yeah. it's like, it's like if you went to a, a, a teen party or, you know, a, a six flags and there were no adults and there was no security. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just a snowball effect. Like, yeah. Oh, let's try this or, Oh, let's do this. And then, you know, people add to it and people add to it. And then eventually it just explodes. You, um, you, as you grew up in our home, um, you were held accountable for stuff. Probably not to the degree that I, when I was your age, living with mom and dad, my parents were really strict. And then we weren't quite so strict with you and your sisters, but we were strict. That seems to be um, watering down in this generation. People, younger people seem to have no desire to be held accountable and they don't see much positive coming out of being held accountable. And so from our generation to yours, from your generation to the one that's below you and under you, it's even watered down even more. Mm -hmm. Is that making a big difference in the uh, society in which you interact in, in Dallas-Fort Worth? Big time, big time. You know, like when I was growing up, I mean, yes, we were disciplined. Um, we were taught, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. And you maintain that level of respect. And it does, it's not just your family. It's 
people in the community. Um, you know, this day and age, the parents are more, I guess you would call lazy because raising someone to be proper, to be, you know, professional and well-mannered, it takes patience. It takes energy and it takes time. Um, where you can just, they can do whatever they want to. And then, um, you know, they, they, as they grow up, they just can continue to do whatever they want to. Um, they don't stop and think about their actions. They, you know, uh, they do what they do and then they see what comes afterwards. They don't, they don't stop and think they just gamble. Yeah. So how many people do you have that work directly for you in uh, your beverage operation at medical center Arlington? Um, I want to say roughly about 75, 75 people. We're going to go to break, but I want you to think during the break about how, what we just talked about you and I, the impact that it had on you when you were growing up and Kimmy and Corey, your sisters, and compared to what you're seeing as an employer, you've got 75 or so people that answer directly to you. And the difference that you're seeing in how those people are taking on responsibility and working and how that is changing and what it's doing to the atmosphere at your hospital. That's next. Talking with you, not at you. Intelligent Conversation. TNN, the Truth News Network. Here's the latest traffic report. Looks like miles of trouble-free driving with Napa Auto Parts. Your local Napa Auto Parts dealer in Modesto has a full line of quality parts for your car or truck. Napa Auto Parts keeps America running, and Modesto Auto and Truck is ready to keep your vehicle running in tip-top shape for years to come. So if you think your car or truck needs help under the hood, think of Napa Auto Parts at Modesto Auto and Truck Parts, 924 G Street in downtown Modesto, 529-8342. 529-8342. Ah, luxury. The aroma is full-bodied, the flavor is decadent, the touch divine, and the drive Yes, the drive of luxury is simply infinity. Introducing the Infinity Luxury Test Tour. If you think you are familiar with luxury, you haven't driven an infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove invites you to truly become familiar with luxury and take a luxury test tour. It's like a test drive, but with more luxury. We invite you to drive luxury to luxury, not for an hour or even a day, but for an entire weekend. Your choice. Select your Infinity and motor off to a luxury weekend in Lake Tahoe or Napa Valley. And yes, all the luxury is on us. Introduce yourself to LuxuryTestTour.com and truly become familiar with luxury. Infinity of Elk Grove is literally giving you the keys to a luxury experience like none other. LuxuryTestTour.com. Drive luxury, drive infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove. Expect more. We don't tell you what to think, but we give you truth to think about. This is TNN, the Truth News Network, truthnewsnet.org. And joining us this morning is Caleb. You've heard me use that name in the past. I've used it many times in his life and not in a nice way, is our son. He's 43 years old. He's an executive chef over a bunch of folks at Medical Center Arlington in between Dallas and Fort Worth. And, of course, he's in for the holidays. We were talking about how people in the generation that he lives in and the one right behind him 
how they are processing life differently from what he knew as a child growing up in our home and what uh, he's seeing happen around there. Caleb is his name. Caleb, thanks for joining us today. You, um, When we went to break, you told us you have about 70 to 75 people that work directly for you. When you're looking at the working ethic of those people compared to that of you when you were growing up, how's it changing? Um, and, you know, I can actually tell how it's changing just every day because I actually have staff anywhere from um, mid-20s to 65 years old that work for me. And uh, you can see it because can we just simply by their work ethic, how they work in the kitchen. And, you know, like one of my best chefs that I have, his name is Alex. He actually just started a couple months ago. I can ask him something once and say, hey, Alex, can you do this? And he's going to do it. And it's going to snowball. And he's going to do this, 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 without me having to do any other instruction. Those that are younger than me, um, when I ask him to do something, I have to ask him to do it more than once. Um, I have to keep an eye on them to make sure they're doing it correctly. And a lot of times, you know, it's kind of hard for me to be in the kitchen nonstop or be in the kitchen and follow their every move because I have so much going on in the hospital. Um, and so I'll come back and be like, Hey, is this done? Yes, that's done. Is this done? No, I haven't done it yet. Um, and a lot of times they can only do one task at a time. Like they have to do a task and complete the task before they start the next task. Um, and so what ends up happening is, is you have to manage them more. You know, you have to spend more time with them, which I'm fine with. I I haven't fine with just like you and mom, you know, molded me to be who I am. I don't have a problem doing that with them if I, you know, in the time I have allotted with them um, to help them grow and be better. But you end up parenting more, per se, like, quote, unquote, parenting more with my staff, with the younger generation. Um, and that by doing that, you can tell that in their childhood or their younger days, they weren't parented. You know, they weren't molded and instructed to do stuff. They were just allowed to do whatever they want to do because you can see it in the work work ethic. Let me ask you this question. Illegal drugs. Now, I know this about Caleb. Uh, we all have our issues. I had mine. He had his. And one thing, and I never, I never jumped on him. Marianne or I, we hardly ever talked about any of this kind of stuff because he's, he was pretty, um, he was pretty set in his routine in life when he was younger. I'm trying to be nice, but I'm trying to be truthful at the same time. He was petrified. I would ask him, do you hang around people, anybody using illegal drugs? And, you know, he talked about people smoking marijuana and stuff like that. Have you ever done that? And he was petrified. He, he had some problems when he was younger. We all did. And he never got in trouble for having anything to do with drugs. Are you seeing, is that continuing to get worse as you see the generation growing up behind you, worse than it was when you were growing up? Um, honestly, when I was younger in my 20s, you saw it a lot. Yeah. Um, especially like in Northwest Louisiana, you saw a lot of cocaine and meth and whatnot. And the DFW market, no. Um, Why is that, do you think? 
I think it's because the laws on marijuana are becoming lax. Um, Texas, you know, Louisiana just passed a marijuana law for medicinal. Um, Texas has, some, I do believe there's some legality on possession of it. I mean, it's still uh, illegal, but the possession has laxed. And so now it's just a citation instead of going to jail. And majority of the drug of choice that you see in the DFW market or Texas for the most part is marijuana because of that. Um, you don't see, I mean, it's obviously present, the cocaine, the heroin, you know, the meth, the crack, cocaine, all that stuff is still in, in every market. You just don't see it as much just because um, I do believe it costs more. I'm not for sure because I've never done anything out of con I've never done any illegal drug but um just because of the you know the, the prison and whatnot and at the same time the cost and at the same time the effect it has on the body um you I mean it, for the most part it's going to be marijuana uh is what you see these days I mean you st like I said you still see it but probably the largest use is going to be marijuana or marijuana derivatives okay I want to, um, we're going to close this, this particular segment out. This is Caleb, our son, 43 years old. He's 6'9". He's a big man. He's, he's got a deep voice. Um, he's, he's very well-educated, and he's an executive chef, knows what he's doing. Lives in a part of the United States that's very mixed now. Texas used to be all conservative. And different parts of Texas, we talked about Austin, it's totally blue. Well, not totally, but all of the leadership there are hardcore leftist Democrats. They don't even try to hide it or make any bones about it. In fact, they're very proud of it. And one thing, a bunch of people that live in Texas, as we saw California begin to fall apart and people leaving in droves from California and the places of choice for them to go to were places where the cost of living was low and the taxes were low. And the number one candidate for a state for them to get those results was in Texas. And I've had, I don't know, dozens of friends and family members in Texas when we talk about companies and workers fleeing California, coming to Texas, they all say, we tell all of them when they get here, leave your politics in California. But sadly, it is what it is. Conditioning over time is how we all become what we become and what we accept is okay. Many people today, as he just mentioned, talking about illegal drugs, um, there's this magic that seems to go along, especially when you're a kid, something you really want bad and you can't get it. Well, it becomes more and more important the more you can't get it. But when they, in many places in the U.S., they have legalized private use of marijuana and medicinal marijuana, it ceases to be that shiny thing that you can't get your hands on, so you end up not wanting it as much as you did before. Caleb, as we close this today, and I want to thank you for joining us here in the studio, but it, as, as we close this today, looking at your generation, 40 to 46, 47-year-old people that are involved in the workforce, that are actively dealing with being adults now, 
How do you see the nation going over the next five to ten years politically in the United States? What do you think is going to happen? Ooh, that's a hard one. I know. Um, and it's an opinion thing, but I I respect you and your opinion, and you deal with a lot of different people. As we said, you've got 75 employees that many have fall in that age category. Based upon your um, your life, the circumstances and others that you see and integrate with, what do you think? Well, you know, we've kind of seen you know, a thing after, you know, Trump lost the presidency to the um, president that transforms into a Roomba after her speeches. Um, or, you know, the way we've seen the country operate, I feel that there's going to be a huge uprising um, in, the, in the red um, just because, you know, the lack of leadership and the lack of uh, maintaining a proper balance in this country. I have a strong feeling there's going to be huge uprising for the people. Um, and or at least I hope so. Um, you know, I mean, it, it, as time goes on and people become more and more open, they can have more and more open views. If they're not shown the proper way or certain things are done, I mean, it, it could become violent. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to say right now, but you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of fearing for the people that, you know, want to respond and want to react immediately instead of having, you know, being able to hold it back and think and cognitively think and process it through. Um, so it's kind of in the air. I mean, I think there's going to be violence or aggression on one side or the other, just depending on what happens in the next five or six years. Um, but I'm hoping for the best. I'm hoping that we can still maintain that peace and we can um, uh, just continue to live and flourish. Well, you're doing a good job. I'm proud of you. Mom's proud of you. Um, to be quite honest, there was a time in your life when we never thought that where you are today was even a possibility. But you've overcome some great diversity and you've moved forward in large parts. You've done it on your own. You made choices and decisions, not always the best, but you've got a good foundation, a good Christian foundation. And you've watched as business that our family has become involved with and been involved in. And many, many years, you've learned a lot of things from watching those things happen and You've made the right choices in many cases based upon what you've learned. Keep trucking, keep working, and be conscious of the people around you that look to you for advice and leadership. Quite honestly, son, if you and I and others our ages and your ages don't step forward and get involved in the process of being America and being Americans in America... We can't expect everything to just automatically be okay. We got to get our arms around all of this. You got to in Dallas, Fort Worth, and we have to here in Louisiana. This is Caleb, our son, in for the holidays, executive chef, and I can't wait to see in the break he was telling me about a new way he has smoked ham. <laughs> and I can't wait till lunchtime this afternoon to check it out. Caleb, I love you, and I thank you for being my son. I thank you for coming on the show, too. Yeah, thank you for having me. All right. 
Folks, we have a lot of moving parts in our nation. Fortunately, they're not all bad. But we've got some things we need to touch on before we have turkey dinner. That's just ahead. Mr. Rippermorph? Yes, Dorothy? A reporter and crew from New Center 7 Wastebusters are here to see you, sir. New Center 7? Wastebusters. They expose mind-boggling waste of taxpayers' money right here in the Miami Valley. What do they want with me? They said you sold the government a ballpoint pen, sir. So? For $1,000. Well, it came with refills. And a jar of paper clips for $2,000. They were multicolored paper clips. Uh-huh. Red ones, blue ones. What should I tell the Wastebusters, sir? Do they have lights and cameras? And the ballpoint pen, sir. Tell them I went out my window, down the fire escape, and then booked down the street screaming like a madman. I don't think they'll believe that, sir. Mr. Rippemoff? Uh-oh. Watch News Center 7 expose government waste right here in the Miami Valley and see the Waste Busters in action. You can't escape them, sir! They're the Waste Busters! News Center 7 Waste Busters. Weeknights at 6. Coverage you can count on. They'll find him. For over 75 years, people have saved money with... Oh, with Geico. Oh, sorry. Here we go, from the top, and action. For over 75 years, people have saved money with Gecko, so... Cut it. What? What did I say? Gecko. I said Gecko. Oh. For over 75 years... <laughs> Keep it together. I'm good, I'm good. <clears throat> For over 75... <laughs> what are you doing there? Stop making me laugh. Geico. Saving people money for over 75 years. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of craftsmen. You're fighting back the tsunami of ignorance with Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. And a little tag on what Pete Moss said. Surrounded with a cloud of ignorance, you can't fix stupid. (laughs) You can't. But what you can do is teach people what choices do when you change them. If you don't change stuff, you got problems going on in your life and you just continue to truck on and let those same problems happen the same way for the same reasons and just don't make any changes, nothing changes. If nothing changes, you got to start with change. First, of course, you got to find out what's the place to start and what should the changes be. Let's go to the illegal immigration stuff for just a minute. We've talked about for months now, ever since Joe Biden became president, we talked about the policies of this administration and our southern border, which is basically don't do anything at the southern border. Just wave everybody through and do it in the name of, oh, these people need a better place to live and more opportunity to do better things for themselves and their families. And that's an excuse. And we've talked about how many of these people that Israel is fighting right now, Hamas and other jihadist organizations around the world, how many of the members of those organizations are living among us right now today 
because Joe Biden and his administration refuse to enforce federal immigration laws. Well, somebody in the know stepped forward yesterday. A former Immigration and Customs Enforcement, that's ICE, a former ICE agent said yesterday, Hamas and other terrorist groups are already in the U.S. thanks to this flood of migrants crossing the southern border. The radical Islamic terrorist group Hamas, they carried out a deadly terrorist attack on multiple locations in southern Israel October 7th. We keep repeating that to make sure everybody understands. Unprovoked, they slaughtered over 1,400 Israeli citizens in that one night, October 7th. And by the way, that included at least 30 of us Americans. This ICE agent said he interviewed members of Hamas that were apprehended while trying to cross the border and they got caught. We currently turned a blind eye to literally millions of people crossing this border, including terror groups like Hamas. That's coming from a guy named Tom Feely, who's a former director of ICE enforcement and removal operations. Those are the ones that actually, in the rearview mirror, were deporting these illegals that came across, as the law says they're supposed to. He said, when I was a director, I actually interviewed some of the Hamas that are here. He responded when Jones asked how he knew Hamas was in the country. They're here amongst the terror organizations. Over two and a half million illegal migrants have been encountered at the U.S.-Mexico border in the last year. That's according to data released by U.S. Customs and Border Protection. And that's on the heels of 2,378,944 encounters last fiscal year and 1,734,686 in fiscal year 2021. Estimates even go higher than that because we don't catch them all. We don't know who all came through. If they sneak through, sometimes we can guess, sometimes we can't even do that. The agency within ICE, the Enforcement Removal Operations, they're the sole agency responsible for removing people from the U.S. since Biden has taken office. All the senior leadership has pretty much retired or left and gone to do something else, Feely said. Right now, this administration is actually downsizing them. Now, put that in the context of what he said when he gave us these numbers. 2.45 million illegals during fiscal year this year, 2023. And then, 2,378,000 encounters in fiscal year 2022. 1.7 million the previous year. And these people are all leaving. The people that are, their job, they're charged to do nothing but process and according to the law, remove these illegals back to the country where they came from. That's not happening. Now remember this, put it in the context of what we've experienced as Americans. 19 jihadists, 19 of them, that's all that were involved directly in what happened on 9-11. 19 jihadists killed in the toppling of the Twin Towers, 3,000 Americans. 
Just saying. We didn't know they were here. I almost spit my false teeth out. And I don't have any false teeth. Yesterday, when I was told when this car bombed right at the Canadian-U.S. Uh, border in n- northern uh, New York, that they, being the Canadians, they caught 460 known terrorists crossing into Canada last year. 460. And this administration is not concerned at all about any of that. I'm just guessing, but I think it is conceivable to say this. And I have no idea if it's an accurate number, but just based on what I have been able to put together about the data that has been released that I've received, and many of you have, I can see a scenario where a group of terrorists, maybe different faces, different names, but they're still terrorists and they hate the United States. There have been a bunch of them that come to the United States. How many, we don't know. But I would bet it's close to a million. Okay, Dan, you may be exaggerating. Okay, let's cut it in half, 500,000. That still may be high, could be high, but it could also be low. But let's just stop right there. Cut that in half. Quarter of a million, 250,000. If there was any structure or organization among these people that are pretty much here for the same causes, how much damage could a couple of hundred thousand terrorists do to you, to me, to people in our government, to our institutions, to our infrastructure? I mean, these are the people that they don't think even twice about strapping on a suicide vest and running into a crowd of people and killing themselves just to kill as many of the infidels that they can. And it's happening regularly in other parts of the world. We, our government, has put in place the processes to not only allow that to possibly happen in the United States, it's now switched further to the right, that it probably is going to happen at some time in our near future. How can I credibly say that? Because that's what those people do. From the time they are born, radical Muslims are taught it's a joy, it's an opportunity, it's a goal to go to heaven with a slew of the pelts of the infidels on their belts. As many people that they can kill, they actually are promised in Islam There are a bunch of virgins waiting for them in heaven, and the more infidels they kill, the more virgins they get. Now, that doesn't even seem plausible to think that there's anybody that believes that. But when you're, from the day you're born, if you're told every day you're a cow, every day you're a cow, and here's what cows do, they moo. What are you going to start doing at some point? You're going to moo all the time. Because you grew up believing 
because it was the only thing you were ever taught that you were a cow. Now that sounds stupid. It's not stupid. It's commitment. It's commitment. That's one of those things that every leader in the United States Congress, every president that has ever taken the oath of office, every bureaucrat that has gone in as a professional person working within our governments, every one of those people, since we had the United States and we had the Constitution, every one of them has promised their number one job is to protect the people of the United States and number two is to enforce all the laws that are credibly passed according to the way, the structure of crafting laws and implementing them and holding everybody who breaks them accountable until this president. Think about that. We've had some real zeros in the White House as far as I'm concerned. I won't name names, but they're pretty obvious. There have been some zeros that were Republicans too. It's not just about Democrats. It's not about political party. It's about focus and commitment to the things that they, with their mouths, committed to when they took their oaths of office. I mean, look at what's happening right now in our Congress. The squad, we have five people up there that are jihadist. They won't even say anything negative about anything that has happened at the hands of Hamas. In fact, they think it's warranted. Now, it's okay for anybody to think anything. And it's okay for anybody and everybody to speak their minds. That's promised to anybody that is in the United States, citizen or otherwise. When you step foot here, you are allowed to abide by the good things that you consider good in the Constitution and also the things that you don't like. You're required to abide by it. But you're given the legal right to say things that other people disagree with. So just because Michigan representative, she is a, a uh, not a Hamas, but she is a Palestinian national. I'm talking about Rashida Tlaib. Just because she is anti-Israeli, it's okay for her to be that way. But it's not okay for her to facilitate anybody breaking any law in any way. And that would include, by the way, eliminating, killing, shooting, bombing anybody. She's got a right to feel that way. You've got a right to feel it's okay to be conservative if you are. And if you're a registered Democrat or if you're any other political ilk, go ahead and be it. But you abide by the rule of law. And if you don't, you're committing illegal actions, sometimes felony actions, that whoever's in power should be enforcing, making sure you abide by the law, I abide by the law, we all do, and if we mess up and don't abide by the law, we're held accountable according to the rule of law. Joe Biden does not do that. Period. Case in point. Right now, today, 
I had a very lengthy conversation with my brother last night about this. Right now, the Biden administration is gearing up to finalize a host of emissions rules, emissions rules for vehicles, and regulations in the coming months. Now, what is this all about? Well, the rules and regulations are all focused on methane, a greenhouse gas that is more potent, but it dissipates more quickly than does carbon dioxide. And align with this administration's commitment to attack climate change with the whole of government response. Now, you want me to interpret what that said? Joe Biden has determined for political purposes only and an upcoming election next November in which he tells us he's going to be the representative of the Democrat Party and run for re-election as president. I don't think he'll make it that far. In fact, I think he'll be gone right after the first of this year coming up. Just my opinion. But wait a minute. I thought Congress made these laws. Well, Congress is charged constitutionally to be the only place where laws are made. And then they go, if the House agrees, the Senate agrees, then the bill goes to the president to sign into law. Not with this guy. He gives the rule of law regularly, at least once or twice a week, that we find out later he did, very quietly and hiding them, giving the middle finger to the rule of law and using executive orders. Basically, what that means is he just goes against whatever is out there and says, I don't like it. Here's what we're going to do different. Now, much of this, and I'll get to this in a second. Let me tell you what he's doing. The White House is reviewing an EPA final rule that would cut methane emissions from oil and gas production, refining, transport, and storage. The rule could be finalized in two weeks when the U.S. hosts a methane summit with China and the United Arab Emirates at the upcoming United Nations Climate Conference. Nobody in mainstream media is talking about this. Let me give you details. The Biden folks and China committed together to work to control methane emissions, and they discussed this in detail last week when Xi Jinping was in California. Though the Chinese climate envoy has balked at calls to ditch fossil fuels and the country permitted an average of two new coal plants each week, each week in 2022. Now, what does this all sound like? What does it mean? The EPA is looking to finalize regulations for power plant and vehicle emissions in the coming months, a separate EPA methane tax regulation from the Inflation Reduction Act. (laughs) That's... Biden's signature climate bill is currently under White House review and due to become finalized early next year. That rule will be based on updated and more aggressive reporting standards. And so, meanwhile, the Biden administration is working with the European Union and other countries to put together new international standards to give low-methane natural gas privileged access to the European market. 
While work on these standards is underway, it's unclear what they will be and when they will become final. The Department of Transportation is working on another rule for pipelines for methane leak detection and repairs. The agency had signaled it would unveil the final rule in July, but it's not come out yet. The American Gas Association slammed this proposal as an example of government overreach that sets highly unrealistic compliance timelines when the agency unveiled it in August. And we keep going on. Also, the Bureau of Land Management, the BLM, is also crafting a methane rule that's focused on leaks from oil and gas production on federal lands. The final rule was supposed to be unveiled in September, but the White House has not yet reviewed it. The Treasury Department. This is another one. They're all in cahoots under Biden. It's also working on tax credit eligibility guidelines for green hydrogen projects. The guidelines for the sizable tax credits made available for the IRA will set the threshold for acceptable levels of upstream methane leaks from gas used to produce the hydrogen. Now, what's the commonality in all of what you just heard? Energy. Now, I'm not going to beat the dead horse on this. I'm not going to do it. But let me tell you what's going on. Hardcore leftist Democrats, they wanted to do, they wanted to push, they wanted to see how effective they could get the American people to allow them to be pushing for the fake lies of what they call climate change. And it begins with the name of that, the climate change. It can't be done. Americans, no group of countries on the planet can control our climate. Now, we can do things that may impact a climate, but the only way it could ever be done to anywhere close to the level they demand that it is going to be done would be if every country on the planet not only agreed with it, but put it in place and operated it. And that ain't going to happen. You heard in that report what China's doing. They're bringing two, two Two plants online every month producing coal. Coal is one of the biggest polluting parts of energy that there is. So why are they doing it? It's the cheapest, easiest way to create sources of energy for their people. What's really happening now is the movers and shakers, the ones that spoon-fed Joe Biden this stupid idea to totally do away with fossil fuel of every kind, which is exactly what Biden keeps preaching to the world. And they now realize we can't get it done because we can't fuel the world with green energy, different types of energies. We told you a massive wind form that the government of New Jersey had given a contract, exclusive contract, to produce offshore this massive wind farm, and this company very quietly backed out of the deal because it doesn't work. It doesn't work. 
solar panels. Oh, my God. Scientists. You remember one of the big things when Obama became president? He went after. He was the one that started this whole green energy push. And that company, Solyndra, he got them almost a billion dollars in grants from the government. No strings attached. They're going to go in business to produce solar panels that make those coming out of China obsolete. There's no way it could be done. China couldn't do this. Solyndra went busted because Solyndra couldn't do it. And the American taxpayers lost a billion dollars. Today, I've done it. Riding up the interstate just a little bit north. Um, well, it's a little bit south of San Francisco. There's a huge building on the right of the interstate with the logo, the big word of Solyndra. It's still there. And we put a billion dollars in that big building. (laughs) And it hadn't done one thing, but just cost us in our national debt paying interest every quarter. That's all it's done. That's just one example. One example. Scientists came out and said, if we really wanted to do all in for solar energy, Every square inch in the United States of America, west of the Mississippi, would have to be 100% covered in solar panels for us to even start to be able to produce the energy that's required in the nation today. Now, of course, after that, what do you do? Well, we could rent space from Canada and Mexico, maybe? I don't know. It can't be done. And the Biden administration, whoever the handles are, handlers are of Joe Biden, they're reaching a conclusion that that is right. That's true. It can't be done. This nation can't function without fossil fuel. And so what are they doing? They downshifted. They're going back now. And they're trying to put together executive orders and push those orders out through the Environmental Protection Agency. And they're going to go after us to charge us more because in any energy that we're doing, oil, gas, any of that, they're going to regulate it. They're going to control it. And what does that mean? That's an answer. The love of money is the root of all evil. The government wants control of all your money, not some of it, not most of it, all of it. And one way to do it is tax and put regulation requirements, not Congress, the Biden administration. That's not supposed to be done by anybody other than the people's representatives. Now, Joe Biden, any president, is elected by the people, but that's one person. There is no constitutional provision that allows any president to go over any congressional action or to be able to make laws without Congress pushing it through and approving it all. Anytime they're screaming, waving a hand in the air, and they're telling you about something that is absolutely true, 
Don't look at what they've got in their right hand that they're waving around in your eyes. Don't do it. Look what's in their hand they're waving around behind their back. That's what counts. Meanwhile, we've got terrorists among us. It's unquestioned. It's just a matter of when are we going to be involved in some kind of single or maybe multiple terrorist attacks on American soil. And we do know that the Biden administration has allowed from numerous ways, different corners of the earth, many of them we know about, many we don't know. But we do know there are thousands of terrorists that have been allowed to come in this nation. And it's all either happened directly for or as a subproduct of the open border at our south. They're coming in. Some of them we know about. Many of them we don't, but we know there are thousands that are here. Congressman Murphy spoke to Maria Bartiromo along with uh, Representative Issa from California. Murphy talked about terrorist attacks because of what's happening on our southern border. And then Issa, Daryl Issa, talks to Maria Bartiromo about the impeachment pending in Congress. We've let so many people in the country, we don't know who they are, where they're from, where they're going. And with such a meteoric rise in the number of individuals caught on the terrorist watch list, how many have gotten in this side? It's a very, very challenging time in the world right now, and Biden has made it much more dangerous. That was North Carolina Congressman Greg Murphy joining me earlier in the program, linking the southern border crisis to an intelligence report warning of a possible terrorist attack in New York to come. Meanwhile, Immigration and Customs Enforcement have arrested an illegal migrant in Martha's Vineyard who was once sentenced to 14 years in prison for raping a five-year-old child in his home country of Brazil. Eight House Republicans voted to block an effort to impeach Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Joining me right now is one of those eight lawmakers who stopped it, California Congressman Daryl Issa. Congressman, thanks very much for being here this morning. Thanks, Maria, but if not meaning to correct you, but we voted to send it to the committee, the committees of jurisdiction for this. Uh, I serve on one of them, but it's Homeland Security with uh, uh, Chairman Green and Judiciary with Chairman Jordan. Uh, And those, if everyone who voted uh, yes on this uh, wants to vote it back out when uh, with modifications to make it germane, uh, I'm looking forward to it. I've, I've said I'm willing to vote for impeachment, but I want to make sure that it's uh, written properly uh, and comes out prepared to not just pass the House, uh, but to pass the House in a way in which we've at least got a shot to take it to the Senate and convince them to remove uh, the secretary. Yeah, so that's really what I wanted you to come on and explain, because I know that you know this threat better than most. You understand uh, what has taken place at our southern border and that there has been a dereliction of duty underway from this Homeland Security Secretary, Alejandro Mayorkas, as well as this president. So was it truly just a technicality that caused you to vote the way that you did? Is that what you're saying? I will actually, anytime there's a privileged resolution, not from the leadership, that comes to the floor bypassing uh, the procedures that it cause us to do good work, 
Uh, I'm going to tend to scrutinize it and probably vote against it. Uh, I voted for a, uh, against a similar uh, sanction against uh, uh, Rashida Tlaib. And I did so <clears throat> because it was written, uh, if you will, poorly. A day later, uh, after quite a bit of work, we had an alternate one that came forward that we all voted for and got 22 Democrats to vote for uh, sanctioning her for her uh, unreasonable comments. Uh, that's the kind of thing we want to do. We want to make these uh, resolutions, if they're going to occur, uh, tight, accurate, and sustainable. Uh, you know, when I uh, 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 held Eric Holder in contempt, I got double-digit Democrats who voted with me to hold him in contempt. It took a lot of work, but that's the right way to do it. I'm not saying we're going to get Democrats to vote with us on most of these things, but I do believe that we need to make it at least credible that we've done our homework, that we're tight and accurate. Uh, I trust Jim Jordan. I trust uh, Chairman Green over at Homeland Security. These people were elected by the majority of Republicans, uh, and they were elected because we trust them. Uh, now, do I want to see uh, impeachment or a change in direction? Absolutely. I think it is uh, tantamount to treason that uh, we're allowing uh, people to come into this country, including terrorists and people on the watch list, that we've, we've created a situation in which there's chaos throughout the country. Uh, and by the way, you heard it earlier when you played it, the, the person most responsible is the president of the United States, somebody who I also believe is guilty of bribery. Mm -hmm. Well, Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, brought this motion to the floor. She says she's going to go back and make changes and bring it back again. Are you saying that unless it comes from the chairman of the committee, you're still not going to agree to vote that way? Oh, no, no. It's uh, the, uh, the, the one that, that uh, sanctioned Tlaib, quite frankly, was still brought directly. But you scrutinize them differently. Uh, I saw that one for the first time as it was coming to the floor. Uh, I felt that it wasn't tight. It didn't allege uh, impeachable offenses. Uh, Look, she's a very smart uh, congresswoman. Uh, if she goes back and she works with others to make sure that she's alleging impeachable offenses, that it's tight uh, and sustainable, uh, I would consider voting for it. I would prefer that it come out as, a, as an impeachment inquiry or impeachment normally does uh, with Chairman Jordan and a, a, a prepared to go across to the Senate. Because remember, once we impeach, we still have the, the other half of it, which is trying to remove, and that requires the Senate. Mm -hmm. And do you think this would pass the Senate or no? No, I don't think it would. Uh, you know, it, uh, it might convince the president to change his policy. Uh, it's certainly, if we have a, if you will, a somewhat more protracted trial, not a quick vote on the floor, but right. a, a series of the things that you normally see in uh, impeachment, it might convince the American people how wrong this president is in a greater amount, in an amount that could cause him to change his, his policies, or in the alternative, get the American people to realize we need to change this president. It's absolutely a mystery as to why this president does not put America first and has such a soft response to our adversaries. House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan sent a subpoena to Hunter Biden prosecutor Leslie Wolf, ordering her for an appearance on December 7th. Wolf accused of trying to shield President Biden from certain questions and search warrants related to the Hunter Biden investigation. Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer joined me earlier in the program uh, to discuss that subpoena. Here's what he said. Watch. Watch. 
Leslie Wolf, it, it seems, is where all roads lead to when, when you look at the cover-up, when the IRS was told to stand down, when the Department of Justice was told to stand down, and when the FBI was told to stand down. One person's name continues to emerge in all of these cover-ups, and that's Leslie Wolf. So from the wide open border to the botched Afghanistan uh, withdrawal to, you know, all of this soft response to China, despite massive aggression coming from communist China, we're all wondering whether or not this president is compromised and what exactly Beijing has on this president. What do you believe this is going? Where is this going? I think we're heading toward uh, an impeachment with bribery as one of the charges. Uh, now, I, I haven't I haven't nailed it all down. That's Chairman Comer's uh, primary job is to finish nailing it down. But I've talked to him and, of course, Jim Jordan and I talk regularly. We see the elements coming together of of the money you're following and the actions. And when money causes actions, that's bribery. And we think that's what we're beginning to see. Unbelievable. Uh, Congressman, we appreciate you joining us to take on this issue. A lot of people were questioning why, in fact, you were one of the people who uh, pushed back on Marjorie Taylor Greene's motion. You've explained it, and we appreciate your time, sir. We'll be watching all of this. Thank you. Congressman Mike Johnson, the House Speaker from Louisiana and is on this show regularly. He made it very clear publicly yesterday that Impeachment is imminent. Now, I don't know what that means. You just heard from the head of that committee. And there's something going on there. I don't know if there's negotiations between members of the House and the Senate. I would expect that would be the case. But here's my thoughts on impeachment of this president and also Alejandro Mayorkas. Everybody knows Impeachment of any government official begins constitutionally in the House of Representatives. They put together their articles of impeachment. They present it to members of the House. If and when the House approves those, then and only then, those articles are brought over to the Senate. If the Senate votes to take up and consider those articles of impeachment in a trial, then it goes to the floor, and there's an actual trial. But even if the Senate hears everything, the House has done their work, they bring the articles that they approved over to the Senate, the Senate, even if they get approved to be considered in a trial, it's got to be voted with 60 votes to remove that person that's being impeached. Donald Trump was tried the same way twice, and both of them, it didn't pass in the Senate, and he was not removed. Impeachment is just the first phase of this. Then there would have to be a trial. Sadly, right now, Republicans don't have enough members in the House to say we can get and are confident that we can get 60 votes to remove Joe Biden if and when the House comes up with these articles of impeachment. So it's just like in pretty much every business deal. When you're negotiating something before you make commitments, either side does in a business deal, that side, before they have a vote, they know how everybody that's going to be a part of that final decision, before they even formalize it, they know how everybody's going to vote. And it's not good if you don't know and you roll the dice and then you get turned away when you are positive 
the way that you thought it should go was going to go that way. You follow me? It's just not clean cut as we would like for it to be. What else is going on? Well, we're about to have another election. We're less than a year away from choosing every member of Congress, well, at least the House of Representatives. Some of the Senate seats will come up for election, but every four years we have an election for a president and a vice president. And it's also in that process that people began to go back and look at voting fraud. Oh my gosh, we're not going to go through that again, are we? Well, we never stopped going through it. We've been told there was never any voting fraud in 2020 and 2022. None whatsoever. Everybody poo-pot it, but there was an abundance of it. And much of it has been found, has been tried, and the guilty parties have been prosecuted for their wrongdoing. But, of course, mainstream media, they don't talk about it. They don't want Americans to think there's any voter fraud. And it keeps popping up every few days we hear of some. We had four stories this week so far about confirmed voter fraud. And we got another one now. Oh, my gosh. The wife of an Iowa County supervisor was convicted of 52 counts of voter fraud yesterday in a ballot-stuffing scheme to help her husband secure the Republican nomination to run for Congress in 2020. Kim Fong Taylor, age 49, was found guilty by a federal jury in Sioux City, Iowa, of 26 counts of providing false information in registering and voting, three counts of fraudulent registration, and 23 counts of fraudulent voting in the race which her husband, Jeremy Taylor, ultimately lost. He was running a congressional campaign for Iowa's 4th Congressional District and finished a distant third. So after Taylor's husband lost in the primary, he then ran for Woodbury County Supervisor in the 2020 general election, and Taylor again engaged in ballot fraud, causing absentee ballots to be fraudulently requested and cast. Now, this is according to the DOJ. Wow, our Department of Justice, they're actually doing some work. He ultimately won election to the Woodbury County Board of Supervisor that fall. Prosecutors said Kim Fung Taylor, a Vietnam native, approached numerous voters of Vietnam heritage who had limited English comprehension and filled out and signed election forms and ballots on behalf of them and their English-speaking children. Kim Fong Taylor submitted or caused others to submit dozens of voter registrations, absentee ballot request forms, and absentee ballots containing false information. She completed and signed voter forms without voters' permission and told others they could sign on behalf of relatives who were not present, the Justice Department said. She faces a maximum penalty of five years in prison for each count. Hmm. One count for each fraudulent act. She could be looking at more than 100 years. Woodbury County election officials became aware of possible voter fraud in September of 2020, 
when two Iowa State University students from Sioux City requested absentee ballots, only to find out ballots had already been cast in their name. The students were allowed to withdraw those ballots and cast their own, but Woodbury County Auditor Pat Gill, who also is an election commissioner, held on to the fraudulent ballots. While processing absentee ballots, election workers noticed the handwriting on a number of these absentee ballots appeared similar, and they notified Gill. Assistant U.S. Attorney Richard Evans, who helped prosecute Taylor's case, said most voter fraud cases involve one voter casting a single ballot in another person's name. Despite what's in the media, voter fraud is extremely rare. I can't, I, I can't, I can't bring that, that sentence to people with any feeling of credibility. Despite what's in the media, voter fraud is extremely rare. This one person has no idea if what Evans, this person said, is true. To have someone vote dozens of times for several people, that is rare. Did you see the documentary 2,000 Mules? I did. I watched as night after night, the same people went to camera-covered drop boxes for absentee ballots with dozens and dozens of ballots that were cast illegally. How do I know that? Well, in Georgia and in Philadelphia where these were videoed, ballot harvesting is illegal. In other words, you can only cast your vote or take your vote and put it in a drop box, not anybody else's. But you know what? They tell us all the time, oh, I'm sure there were some voter irregularities, maybe some fraud here and there, but there's no proof that there was enough voter fraud to change one election outcome. Hmm. My thoughts? How many votes is it okay with you that uh, are illegal? Thousand? Two thousand? Well, think about it from this perspective. Every one vote that is somebody voting opposite of you and the way that you vote, every vote, whether legal or illegal, negates your ballot, the one you chose and you filed legally, it negates yours, and for a 1,000 or 2,000 other people that voted the way you did. I don't think a single, a single ballot cast fraudulently is okay, and I defy anybody to say opposite of that. We've got to straighten this crap out. We've got to do that. Hey, guys. Thank you for being here, sharing a little bit of your Thanksgiving day with us. I'm going to share. No, I'm not going to share my Thanksgiving with you. (laughs) I'm going to share it with my family. I hope you can do the same thing. You guys have a great day. Do not forget, we're back tomorrow morning at 9 a.m., 9 to 11, every Monday through Friday here at TNN Live.